Heavenly Father, we just come to you and we, Lord, we just seek your face. We seek your kingdom, O oh God. We seek your will to be done in our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we don't want anything different than that. That's the one thing that the New Testament says that Jesus said to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Heavenly Father, help that to be our, our goal, the thing that we seek for, the thing that we search after. That your kingdom would be just completely established in every area of our lives. Lord, we just ask that you would help your servant. I need your help today. Please speak your word. Let your message go forth. Let the name of Jesus Christ be lifted high and glorified. We praise you and love you. And we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been studying through in the in the Jesus School of Ministry. So we've been we've been learning some lessons along the way as we've studied along with the disciples because just like Jesus you know, chose 12 people to go ahead and follow him. He also chose chose us, a small group of people, to also follow him. And so we're learning the same lessons that the disciples learned back then. And um, and uh, so 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 what we're learning today about is what Jesus said about the little children. And so that's so that's what we're gonna be at today. Why? Because we're going on a mission trip this summer too. And, we, and it already started to the the spiritually darkest city in all of America, either number one or two, and that's Albany. That's the Tri City area. And so God's sending us here to be missionaries here. So that's why we're doing a Live at Five concert series to tell people about Jesus. That's why we're doing VBS to tell kids about Jesus. And so as part of learning about what Jesus said about kids, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 18. So feel free to go ahead and turn over there. We're going to be in verses 1 through 14. And the parallel passage is in Mark 9, 33 through 50. Um, it's mostly the same. There's a couple minor differences, but... Okay, so we're going to go ahead and read through, and then we're going to dissect this a little bit along the way and, and see some, some uh, lessons that Jesus taught along the way. <clears throat> so verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So we're going to start with that. So, so Jesus starts by asking them, by asking them, well, then by, they ask Jesus a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so and in, 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 the, in the Mark passage, it's a little bit different. It starts out with the disciples arguing amongst each other who's going to be the greatest and then Jesus steps in and asks, what, what, are you, you know, what are you talking about? So the irony about this is just a couple verses earlier than that. In verse 22 and 23, Jesus is talking about his own death and sacrifice. His own sacrificial death. That's what he's talking about. In verse 22 and 23, he says, of chapter 17, Now while they were st staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised to life. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Isn't that interesting? They were so sorrowful. Oh, this must have just torn their heart out so much that they start arguing about who the successor is going to be. Isn't that ironic? They're like, yeah, I guess Jesus is out of here. So uh, let's see what the pecking order is going to be like when he's gone. 
They were talking about his successors. He was talking about his sacrifice, and they decided to talk about his successors. That must have really hurt the Lord's heart. So he, so he, he does an object lesson. He takes a little child, and he brings him into the midst. And he, and he says, look, look, unless you become converted and become as this little child, you won't even get into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, you've got it all wrong here. I chose you because you were little in your own sight. You were a reject from all of Israel. That's why you were still available when I came along and called you. If, you know, if I didn't come to you, you'd, you'd be out fishing. You'd be out doing all sorts of other stuff. When you were small in your own sight, which is the same message that he said to David and the same message he said to Saul and the same message that he said to the Mary said about herself, you know, about being, who am I, O oh Lord? And now you're trying to one-up each other? That just doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense for this world because that's the way this world goes. It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. You do whatever you can to get higher in the pecking order in this world. But the kingdom of God has it all forwards. This world has it all backwards. And the kingdom of God, the way up is to go down. It's through humility. And so Jesus is saying, you are so messed up in your, in your thinking that it is just proof that you're not even in the kingdom of God right now. You need to get a converted mindset, a converted attitude, and converted in actions. So verse 3, that's what he's saying. The disciples were not in the kingdom of God. Unless you change, you won't even get in. They needed to be converted before they could enter. And their question proved they were operating in pride. So the kingdom of God is God's rulership over his people, right? It's, it's, it's heaven reaching down. Through, the way I like to look at it is in heaven, everything happens according to God's will. Everything. And the kingdom of heaven is the arm reaching, the arm of heaven that reaches down to earth into the hearts of his people to make the kingdom effective in their lives, to make God's will happen in our lives. That's what we pray, right? The Lord's Prayer, thy will be done in, on earth just like it's done in heaven. That's saying, let the kingdom happen here in me and around me. And as part of that, you get God's protection, you get his provision, you get his peace, you get his love, you get his guidance, you get all these amazing things. When you're walking in the Spirit, the kingdom of God, the fruit of the Spirit abounds, right? Can we turn to Galatians 5 real fast? Galatians 5, 22 through 24. We're just going to look at the fruit of the Spirit for a minute. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. And so when you're, when you're walking in the Spirit, when the kingdom of God is, you know, manifesting in your life, then this is what's seen. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, hey, did you hear anything in there about, like, striving for a position? Did you hear that in that list? When the kingdom of God is, when the fruit of the Spirit is to strive for a position, did you hear that? No, because it's not in there. Did you hear the kingdom of God is when, when you really want to be more important than other people or this pride is well? Did you hear that in there? No, you didn't because it's not in there. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. But we'll read what the fruit, we'll read what the works of the flesh are, which is where you'll find those things I just described. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, hey, there we go, disciples right there, that one, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also tell you, told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's where the disciples are at. They needed to be converted. And so the disciples, they just weren't, 
they just weren't uh, in the kingdom of God yet. And um, so our so you, our lifestyle exudes. If our lifestyle exudes the works of the flesh, then hey, it's time. That's a temperature check. That's like going, you know, reading this versus kind of like going to the doctor and seeing how your health is doing, right? They give you your blood pressure. They tell you, you know, your temperature. They tell you all those all those things to tell you if you're in good health or not. So reading those verses is our like spiritual checkup to find out, hey, am I? What am I practicing? Am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? Like, like, what's the major practice of my life? I know you can walk in the spirit most of the, and fall sometimes, and God's got you know God's got plans for that. God you know God upholds us through those times. But what what's our predominant practice? That's that's why it's you know the verse there ends in those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's our life practice, then there's a problem. And so, <clears throat> Galatians five is like the mark as to whether we're in the kingdom of God or not. And so to be, to to get in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. And so to get in the kingdom of God, we have to become as little children. That's to change our thinking, to think just like a kid. And so when, so when I give gifts to my kids, um, you know, they, they receive it like without presumption of getting more. They're like, they're just thankful to get it, you know. And without like envy and jealousy. So we got, you know, passes to go to the, you know, amusement park. And there wasn't like envy and jealousy about oh, who, who got the better pass or anything like that. They were just thankful that they got something really cool that they'd be able to do. And so in the Jesus School of Ministry, lesson number one is to become as little children. To become as little children. And then back to, back to Matthew 18. And in verse 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so we, Jesus has this object lesson going where he's got this child there, right, in, in their midst. Now think about this. So here's this little child who, I don't know, is probably in the range of like 7 to 10 years old, something maybe 5 to 10 years old. How do you think that little child feels in the midst of all these adults? In the midst of all these important adults with Jesus, who's apparently the most important adult around because he's got thousands of people following him. So... These, this little child, one little child in the midst of all these adults, how do you think that they feel? Do, they, do you think that they feel like they're real dominant, like they're in charge here, that they're important? No, they probably think about themselves like, wow, I, you know, I don't know what to do here, what I'm doing here, because with all these important adults, they're pretty humble on, their, you know, on the inside, in their heart. So to humble yourself means to make low and to bring low. To bring down one's pride, to have a modest opinion of oneself, to behave in an unassuming manner, devoid of all haughtiness. So there's a way up in the kingdom of God, and that way is through meekness. There is a way up. There is. It's okay if you want. If you want to climb the ladder, you can. The ladder goes down. It's meekness and humility. It's to humble ourselves. If you want to be greatest. You get to humble yourself the most, and that's okay. You want to be great? Humble yourself. You want to be the greatest? Humble yourself the most. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. Jesus humbled himself more than anybody else, and it's because of that reason that God exalted him to a position higher than anybody else. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and, and came as in the likeness of a servant and took on you know, humanity's Darn, I can't get the rest of the verse right. But anyway, and he humbled himself. And so because of that, he was exalted. So it's because of that. So if you want if you want to be top of the heap, you can. You just got to serve more than anybody else. You just have to humble yourself more than anybody else. 
And so, and then, yeah. The, the, and so, the level to which you humble yourself before others is the level to which God will esteem you. Ooh, interesting thought, right there, isn't it? So Jesus said to the Pharisees, "How can you believe who seek honor from other men, and, and, and instead of seeking the honor that comes from God alone?" Like we need to be seeking the honor that comes from God alone. You know, we can beat on our chest before other people, but you know what? That doesn't give us one inch of you know distance in God's kingdom. We humble ourselves before God, before other people. That's what that's what God esteems. You can't serve self and Jesus at the same time. Ooh, how about that thought? You can't serve self and Jesus at the same time. One of you must die. One of you must die. If we're busy serving ourselves out of pride, then it's because Jesus just doesn't have life in within us. We're serving, you know, we're serving ourselves at Jesus' expense. But if we're serving Jesus, then the only way we can get there is by dying to self. And that's Galatians 5.24, and I'll read that to you. And so at the end of the uh, Fruit of the Spirit passage that we just read, it says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we're serving Jesus, it's because we've died to self. So to just to just die to self. Instead of instead of you know serving ourselves at Jesus' expense, let's serve Jesus at our own expense. And so lesson number two. Oh, and so Peter in the beginning of Acts, and so Peter, you know, healed a man by the temple, and everybody came and they looked at him like, Wow, this is amazing. How did you do this? And Peter said, Why are you looking at us like it's our own power or holiness by which this man is made whole? And then he deflects to Jesus. He's like, look, this is not us that did this. This is through the name of Jesus Christ, through the holy child Jesus. Peter hated pride. He detested it. He pushed all glory to Jesus instead, just right away. He didn't let people put him up on a pedestal. He pushed it to Jesus right away. So lesson number two, to humble ourselves like a little child. That's lesson number two. And then Jesus moves on from there to what, from what we can learn from little children to how we should act towards little children. And he only gives three options. This is, this is really interesting here. The options are to receive them or to cause them to, to stumble or to cause them to sin or to despise them, which is to ignore them. There's no fourth option. There's only three options. And, our, and, and the way we act towards little children is going to reflect one of those three options. And so option number one, to receive children, that's in verse five. And it says, whoever receives one such or one little child like this in my name receives me. And so to receive is to, is to uh, grant access to a visitor or to a child or to, to not refuse dialogue or friendship. And so it's, it's to not treat indifferently, but to treat as equals, to, like, to, to receive them as somebody who's worthy of, of our time, to value them, to listen to them. In another place, Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water because they belong to me, that person will by no means lose his reward. It's, isn't that amazing that all it takes is to, and why do we do such a really cool VPS? Because all we need to do is give a cold cup of water to a child, and that right there will never, ever be forgotten. That will be a reward in heaven that never gets diminished and never goes, and that's all it takes. How hard is that? That's all it takes. The world wants, you know, 
what's the world's thinking. We want to be able to treat kids however we want to, and you know, indifferently, and treat them like servants and stuff like that. And kids are to, you know, are to obey their parents. But you know what? Kids obey willingly obey parents uh, when the parent serves the kid, when the parent serves the child. When, when we when we when we treat children just like they're valued and like they're important, then, then it's really amazing how kids just, you know, Roger up to obeying their parents and it's just it's just a really neat thing which is why you know that's a you know children obeying parents is, is a requirement for church leadership because they know how to handle you know the in-home situation of serving their kids and so their kids are obedient to them so and so for vacation bible school the way we the way we the way we frame it for you know the vbs workers is look we want to make this the best week of the kids year and not just the best week of the kids year we want to make it the best week of the kids life we want them to look back at this in 30 years and 40 years and to say, that's the place that was my favorite moment in history, in my, in my lifetime, is that right there, to be at that vacation Bible school. I remember those teachers, they just loved me. I remember I had fun with the other, with the other students, with the other kids. We want this to be the best week of their life, to be a tether to the kingdom of God, a tether to Jesus that they never get too far away from and that always draws them back. The best week... And we have people that schedule their vacations around our vacation Bible school. They literally do that because their kids love it so much. The first year we did it, we had 48 kids. And one of, and one of the kids, you know, halfway through the week, I know her dad. Her dad said, yeah, we're planning on going down to the Jersey Shore, bringing her and her, and, you know, she was 13 years old or something. We're bringing her and six of her little girlfriends, you know, from school. And we're going down to the Jersey Shore to play on the beach. This girl cried because she wasn't able to finish vacation Bible school. She, like, begged her dad to not go to the Jersey Shore with her friends so she could stay at vacation Bible school. That's our goal is for kids to love it so much because they feel so loved, so appreciated, so valued that it's like the kingdom of God touching their lives. That it's just like the little children that walked with Jesus. They love to be around them. We want, we want vacation Bible school to be like that. And not just vacation Bible school. We want our lives to be like that. And so lesson number three, receive little children because you're a disciple of Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. So to, so the lesson, receive little children. And so that's that's one of the options on how we treat children. And another option, the second option is to cause children to sin. And that's in verse six. <clears throat> but whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into, in the depths of the sea. Wow. Harsh words, Jesus. Uh, that's that's a pretty high bar. That's that's like really tough to do right there. Yeah, it's actually impossible to do unless you're walking in the Spirit. Unless you have the kingdom of God working in your life to where you're under the obedience of the Heavenly Father and you're doing what He's asking. And so it's it, what that word means is to offend or to cause to sin is to put a stumbling block in the way upon which another may trip and fall or entice to sin. It's been said, you know, hurt people are the ones who hurt people. I think that's really true. And so people who are were abused as a child are, you know, multiple times more likely to multiple times more likely to abuse others, you know, when they're grown up. Um, so I know of um, people who have done counseling, and in like you know a women's kind of counseling environment and so there was a story of a missionary uh, a girl who was in a missionary village in africa and true story a girl who was in a missionary village in africa she was um she came to this counseling session when she was maybe 27 or 30 years old and um 
So she grew up in this missionary village. So you think, oh, what, a, what an awesome atmosphere. What a great thing, you know, you know, in, in the middle of a, you know, a, a, another country, but they have their own community. This is going to be a really great, you know, environment for her to grow up in, right? That's what we think, right? That's what we'd expect. That's what we'd hope. By the time she was either 14 or 16, she had been abused by every single man on that missionary compound. Every single man. Every man. Not even one was faithful to his own wife or situation. Every single man abused her by the time she was 14 years old or 16 years old. I can't remember which one. Those men were not doing the Lord's work. They were using God to do their own will. They were using God for the provision and for the covering to be able to do what their flesh wanted in a situation where they couldn't be held accountable because they were in another country. All in the name of the Lord's work. You think, that, you think there's a spot in heaven for them? Listen to Jesus' words. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better for them if that had happened before they could go off and abuse this girl than for them to do what they did. Jesus was not kidding. And we take Jesus' words very seriously. So I want to take you to Jeremiah 7 real quick. Jeremiah 7. Because when the king of glory comes out of heaven and comes down here, he's going to reward every single person based on what their actions are. Believer and non-believer. Jeremiah 7. And this is just 1 through verses 1 through 10. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. Go to the church. That's what that says. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say this. Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Amend your ways and your doings. And then I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words that say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. These are lying words. And today we'd say grace, grace. It's all covered by grace. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place to dwell in safety in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you, but you're trusting in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods who you do not know and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered so we can do all these abominations. Is that, is, 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 is that what's acceptable to the Lord? Has this house, which is which is called by my name become become a den of thieves in your eyes behold i i even i have seen it says the lord and so he's he's rebuking the people of god for you know back then it was all about the temple oh the temple of the lord god's going to preserve the temple as long as we're you know near the temple faithful to the temple then everything's going to be okay and he's saying no 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 you're doing all these awful terrible things against each other and against me and it's not going to last yeah you've got this this season of of uh, you know safety and, and it's going to come to an end if you don't change your ways <clears throat> and 
And so today we're living in something that's kind of similar. Um, in, in, in the church, you know, in, in the name of grace, we just allow anything to, anything to go. So which is true, Jesus' words or the grace, grace that covers everything? Jesus' words, Jesus' warnings are, are the true one. So what, what I call that is the one-third gospel message. And so, and so I'm, I've got a little challenge for you, okay? So here's, here's the challenge. I'm going to tell you what the one-third gospel message is, and I want you to tell me if, if, if you think that it sounds good, okay? So because, because this is the thing. Satan's strategy from the Garden of Eden was to go ahead and he didn't speak a, a lie. He just told a half-truth. He said, did God say that? You won't surely die, right? He just like cast, you know, he just brought, a, brought it into a half-truth, right? He didn't outright lie about it. So, and so he's still doing the same thing. So here's the one-third gospel message. And so let, let's see if you can, if you, can you know, see, see, see it here. Because I, I think that most Christians can't even figure out what the difference is. So, so here we go. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved from the penalty of sin. Did you catch it? Sounds pretty good, right? Okay, let's try it again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. Yeah, that's 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 one third of it. That's one third of the gospel message. And it's missing the other two thirds that are really, really important. So what are the other two thirds? What's been left out? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved from the power of sin and from the practice of sin. And so because of that, you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. You don't get to let sin reign over you and continue in the practice of sin and then get heaven at the end. The New Testament does not support that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, yes, from the power of sin, from the practice of sin, and from the penalty of sin. And so what, what are my evidences of this? I, so I, I'm bringing this to the, you know, the court case of church, right? So what are my evidences that, that we say it's no big deal, right, to do what, you know, grace, grace, whatever we want to, whatever we want to do and say it's all covered under grace? Bonhoeffer. You know, we say things like, oh, it's no big deal or God understands I'm not perfect, right? So Bonhoeffer says the preach, this is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession of sins. And it's grace without discipleship, without the cross, without the living and incarnate Jesus Christ. Look, Jesus paid this huge price to save us from sin. And Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8 say, you are delivered from the power of sin. So he didn't, Jesus didn't pay that enormous price, and so we could just give ourselves over to it. Because it, because it feels good and we think we have no power to stop. No, we do have power to stop. We, and, we, and we have the expectation from Jesus that that we're expected to walk in holiness. So, and then it goes, and then it goes on here in eighteen, um, verse seven. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life maimed, or lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. So straight Satan's strategy is to make the make the church at large, you know, disabled because of bad doctrine. And so nobody walks in holiness, nobody walks in righteousness, you know, and then nobody has any spiritual power. So the statistics 
Out of every 10 men in the church, nine will have kids that leave the church. Seven will have a major problem with pornography. Four will get divorced, affecting one million children each year. Back, you know, several years ago when the Ashley Madison scandal hit, 400 pastors were caught in that. 400 pastors were caught in that. In that, you know, go online and sign up for adultery thing. The statistics should make us ashamed. And, and, and it should, you know, get us to say, hey, what's, go what's going wrong here? And so the truth is that we have power to overcome sin. But somebody's got to put their foot down and say enough is enough. My iniquity is not, I'm not going to pass it on to, to you know, somebody else. I'm not going to pass it along to my, the rest of my family. I, it's going to stop with me. And so <clears throat> in football, whatever you practice is what you get good at. In soccer, if you practice it, you'll get good at it. With running, if you practice it, you'll get good at it. Same thing is with, you know, sin or walking in, walking in righteousness. So Romans 6, 16, do you not know that to whom you, to the church, to the church, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are not one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? So sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. That's, that, that's our choice. And so how? How, how, do, how, do we, how do we do that? How do we, you know, walk in obedience unto righteousness? How do we do that, right? Well, we have to be saved first, right? We can't expect to be, you know, change our lifestyle without being saved. So, so the Lord comes and he saves us. And so we can, we can overcome sin. And then at that point, we're expected to overcome sin. And so in order to conquer sin, though, you have to hate it. You have to detest it. You have to just hate it with the utmost hatred. Because if you like it just a little bit, then it will, then it will overtake you. You will bow down to it. You will fall into it, and you will fall into it again, and again, and again, and again, which is the standard practice with a lot of people. And so, and if and if you and we're going to go go through this sometime. But if you want to see maybe a little bit of specifics on on how to do this, read Second Kings twenty four or Second Chronicles thirty four with Josiah's reforms. That guy was militant against any form of sin in his kingdom, and God blessed him amazingly for it. And so it's to rid our lives of anything that causes sin, anything that draws us towards it or makes us think it's acceptable to just rid that all out of our lives, right? And by the way, Jesus is the one who connected this with children. Probably because it's so easy to take advantage of children. And so he gives the utmost warning against it. In 1831, the French political thinker Alexis de Tocqueville visited America to learn what makes America great. And out of that experience, he wrote in, in the book Democracy in America in 1835 and 1840. This is, this is what he wrote. You ready? <clears throat> I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. I heard her flame, I heard her, her pulpits aflame with righteousness. Yeah, that's the thing that's made America great. And that's what we need more of. So, <clears throat> so the point with this is do not cause a little child to sin. We are expected to you know, be able to walk in holiness, to walk in righteousness, and so we don't cause others, others to sin. That's lesson number four. 
And then, then Jesus moves on to, number, to, to verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so to despise, that means to, to think little of or to think nothing of or kind of to ignore, right? And so why does Jesus give a reason why we're, why we're supposed to you know, not, not like ignore? Because their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so even kids have angels watching over them. And, and the angels assigned to those kids are watching the face of the Father in heaven. And how do you think the Father's face changes when we mistreat kids, if we, if we if we despise them or think little of them or ignore them and think them, how do you think that the, that changes the father's face? Probably a, maybe a not so happy countenance comes over him, and that's what the angels are watching. That's what they're cued to. If the father's not happy with how we're how we're treating, you know, kids, then then the father will let it be known. He's got angels to go and handle things, you know, for those kids. And so those angels are dispositioned. You know, to, to watch how to watch the father's countenance to see how we're treating how treating them. And then and then Jesus goes on and says in verse eleven, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Because the kids, you know, everybody born into the world needs Jesus, right? And so everyone every every one of these kids needs Jesus. And not just kids, but adults too. So we're just talking about you know, lessons from the little children. So in verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 12, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go into the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so God's gotten so the, the will the, one of these little ones should perish. And so God's trying; He's trying to use us to reach out to even you know even the kids. And that's not happening if we're disdaining them, if we're thinking little of them or thinking nothing of them. And so that's that's why we do a really cool VBS. That's why we put everything into it. And so, as part of this, it's, it's, it's not it's not just with just with children, but it's also with other people. So I really love what I think it was Whitfield said about Wesley back in the 1800s. They asked Whitfield, somebody asked them, "Do you think you're going to see Wesley in heaven?" And Whitfield said, "Because they had opposing doctrines, and so that was well known." And so Wesley or Whitfield said, "No, I don't. I don't think I'm going to see him in heaven." And they said, "Oh wow! We, now we got a news story." Whitfield doesn't think Wesley's going to go to heaven. So Whitfield stops him right there and corrects him and says, the reason why I won't see him in heaven is because he's going to be so far towards the throne. And I'm going to be so far towards the back that I won't even be able to put eyes on him. They had opposing doctrines, but Whitfield still had that much respect for Wesley. He didn't, he didn't disdain him. He didn't despise him. There may be people that have opposing doctrines to us, our job is, is, is to walk after Jesus the best we can, you know, to, and to not throw stones at somebody else. So lesson five, do not despise little children. So lesson, lesson one, become as little children. Lesson two, humble ourselves like a little child. Lesson three, receive little children. Lesson four, do not cause a little child to sin. Lesson number five, do not despise little children. And so all this is just is, is just about. So we're seeking revival here, right? Like, 
we're, we're, putting, we're putting everything on the line, asking for God to show up in an amazing way. I mean, I could, I could, I could tell him this back, and I could just give out a cotton candy gospel message, you know, Jesus loves you, everything's going to be happy. But that's not what I see in the New Testament. That's not what's changed the church in the past. We're seeking the kingdom of God. We're seeking revival. And so you probably read about revivals. I've read about revivals. I've read about D.L. Moody preaching to the Chicago youth. I've read about Jonathan Edwards who started the Great Awakening and then preached that, you know, through, through a message of love, which is amazing. And then shortly after that, preached the message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you all probably know about that. People clutched their, they put, they put nail marks into the wood because they felt like they were slipping into hell. Like, because God showed them the cost of sin. And I've read about the Welsh, the Welsh revival that started with a visiting preacher who wasn't even supposed to be on the schedule. All of a sudden, the schedule changed, and he was able to come because two women had prayed to bring him. And I've read about the Azusa Street revival and William Seymour, who people described as the meekest man that they've ever known. And then there was a revival in the 90s where there was this church, and, and it was off the side, of the side of a highway, and people would stop it was like before the preacher even got up to preach, the, the, the power of God came down and it hit the plexiglass pulpit and, and broke it in two. And everybody in the church just fell on their face in, in you know, repentance towards God because they were overcome with the spirit of his holiness. And people would drive you know, and park on the side of the highways and walk across the field to get to the church because they just felt like they needed to be there. And as soon as they walked in that Sunday morning, they fell on their face because of God's holiness. And they crumpled to the floor. Nobody left for like seven hours. I want to see revival. I don't, I don't want to see, you know, let's build a place that's a den of thieves or a den of adulterers. I and mean, it's nothing like that. I want to see revival happen. Just like Jonathan Edwards. Just like John Wesley. So revival starts in the heart. It starts with somebody crying out to God for more. Somebody saying, look, what I've got isn't good enough. I want more. I want to see you do more, oh God, in my life and in others' lives. And so if revival's not happening in our own hearts, why would we think it's going to happen here in the capital region? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. So that's, that's what we want. And that's why we're under attack. That's why, that's why we're in Satan's target I think more than probably other churches uh, church plants you know 90% of church plants die after three years and we're two years into this just about and God's been upholding us but what Satan tries to do is he brings in distraction and division he brings in you know um, to, to, and, and to disable the you know the people with their own with their own sin with their own problems with their own junk but we're seeking revival we know that this that this is a you know work of God. We know that God's the one who started this, because He told us the different steps here, here, and here, and here. You know, along the way to go ahead and start. It's time to start. I can tell you more about that sometimes. So we know it's a work of God. It's not a good idea. It's a God idea. We're just holding on. We're asking Him to come in power and in glory, because we want to see Him do amazing things here. And it starts out with us. It starts out with how we approach him and how we let him mold us and change us. So would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus made the way for us to be able to come to you as your children. We thank you for adopting us into your family. We thank you for what you've taught, the word that you've given to us that your son spoke 2,000 years ago. Help us, Lord, to just be serious about it. Help us, Lord, to um, seek your face, to seek the kingdom of God, to seek your righteousness, because we want to see amazing things happen. We want to be broken by the spirit of your holiness falling on us. We want to be changed, and so all of our life just exudes the fruit of the spirit. Lord, we want to see, we want to just give our lives to you and so you can use them as much as, as greatly as you possibly could for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because we know if we're doing that, that you're, you're, on, you're, for us, you're for us, you're on our side. And that we have the privilege to just step out into this world, tell others about you, and to see your kingdom come in their lives. Heavenly Father, move in our hearts in a mighty way. Help us to be humble, to make ourselves humble. We just need you. We want you more so than ever before. Insanity is doing the same things and expecting a different result. We want to be changed so we can see a different result. We give you glory today. We just pray that your, your blessing would go with every person who's here today, every person who's listening today. That your blessing would go with them today, that your favor would go with them, your love and joy and peace would go with them. That each one of us would just walk in your spirit. We'll give you, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on out, everybody. So Soiki and I are gone next week.